Coming up on Stu Does America, does life matter if you are of a certain age? A bunch of old politicians tell us why the answer is no. Sunny Bunch of Rebeller Media talks Hollywood. What are they doing? They're dealing with a rare virus that isn't sexually transmitted. What is going to happen out there? And Blaze TV's Lauren Chen tells us how even children's cartoons are violations of Me Too. If you head to studosamerica.com, you can find links to all of our streaming platforms and social media sites. For podcast listeners, make sure to rate and review and give us that coveted five stars. On YouTube, hit that little bell that's going to annoy you with every new video we post. And consider a subscription to Blaze TV, where you can get access to this show and a bunch of other great ones that maybe you haven't even heard of yet. If you enter the promo code STU, you'll get 10 bucks knocked off. Plus, that's how they know that you like this stupid show. Coronavirus ain't slowing down, and neither are we. So allow me to infect you. Stu does America. Panic, everyone! The coronavirus is here! And you know what? We'd be screwed if it wasn't for all of us receiving an email from each and every business we have bought something from in the last 22 years. Hello, customer. We want you to know we take the coronavirus seriously. That's why we have assigned employees to wipe down flat surfaces and gargle with Purell before speaking to you. Does this make your mind wander to whether we've ever cleaned this place up before? It should, and we haven't. So please come to our business before they force us to close it tomorrow anyway. I think I'm going to be, uh, I think, I'm thinking about making a coffee table book. of uh, The best of the, we promise we're cleaning more genre of customer communications because we all getting so many of them. I kind of hope this isn't a trend. I don't really want email updates on how my favorite soda brand is fighting the issue of the day. Hi, we're here at Pepsi or taking the shrinking population of the Hawaiian monk seal very, very seriously. Less monk seal, more soda. How about you focus on why you let Pepsi holiday spice go extinct? You let that happen while writing this dumb email about the monk seals, didn't you? I will never forget. You're never, ever going to forget that Pepsi. Unless you send me free Pepsi, then then I'm totally going to forget it. As you've been seeing here, uh, the coronavirus, man, it is spreading at a remarkable pace. And there are a lot of people out there that don't watch the blaze every day that are really freaked out. That's mainly because to most people, this is all really new. Hopefully, since you've been watching and listening, you're already as prepared as you can be. But not everybody is. I don't know if you've noticed this. I'm pretty sure most of the country thinks going viral is a term invented to describe the Internet. If this has taken you off guard this weekend, uh, this is why everything seems so extreme. This graph is coming from yesterday morning. Uh, it is, shows how COVID-19 spread through China and how that compares to the rest of the world. To describe to you, if you're on audio only, uh, the Chinese chart, of course, skyrockets for a while and then has leveled off in the past few weeks. We're just starting to skyrocket the rest of the world, but the trajectory is straight up. However, this is what that chart looked like today. It's already past China. The rest of the world has now entirely passed China in total cases. And yes, China is only one country, but, you know, it is where it started. They had no warning. They have 1.3 billion people and a good portion of them live nine inches away from each other. Plus, about half the world isn't even really testing yet. More than that, though, it's the pace. I mean, the curve has turned into a straight upward line with no relief in sight. I'll keep saying this every single day. We are in a period where these numbers are going to explode. If we, ha if we handle this right, that will just be an issue with testing, revealing patients that were already positive. 
If we don't do this right, we will become Italy or France or Spain or Germany, all of which are at or approaching the verge of collapse. I mean, it's terrifying. Despite this, people were out in tight crowds all, all across America this weekend. In New Orleans, St. Patrick's Day, you know, raged on. Now, to be fair, you never go out in New Orleans beforehand assuming you're going to get a disease. So a little bit of a disclaimer there. In Chicago, celebrations went on unabated until everyone was eventually gunned down in a gang shooting. People in Nashville went through a, you know, a funnel of 200 mile an hour winds destroying their town. They'll be damned if they're going to let a virus stop their fun. And for some reason, Disney decided to throw a party like for their last night open because they're all closing down. Now they're closed. Last night open. Big party, meaning everyone gathered together and infected Mickey and Minnie and Daffy. Pluto wasn't affected because he's a dog and dogs don't get coronavirus. It's the nastiest place on Earth. Look, I understand we all want to continue to live our lives. There's no reason to be in close quarters at a bar, especially when they let you have alcohol at home now. It's a new thing. Going out to a bar is actually the worst part about drinking. People are bumping into you. They're spilling drinks on you. You can't even hear what's going on when you're watching, trying to watch Love is Blind. I mean, it's terrible. It's time for America to drink in the joys of old school alcoholism. Sitting at home on your couch with a giant bottle of cheap liquor, watching television and yelling expletives at your cat. That's America. If you can't go a couple of weeks without being at the local dive bar, you've got bigger issues than a global pandemic. If stranger vomit is your definition of good, then okay, but what good really comes from going to a bar? Ask any pro athlete this question. Whether it's going broke, making it rain, fathering 27 children out of wedlock, getting shot, the only thing bars are good for is a tragic tale to eventually be told on some ESPN 30 for 30. If it wasn't for going out for a drink, you know what uh, that Aaron Hernandez documentary turns out? You know how that turns out? He's just home in a big house with really nice stuff. He doesn't murder anyone. He, doesn't, he makes the Hall of Fame with like four Super Bowl rings, and then the documentary is over. Remember this rule. If given the chance, always stay home. Human interaction, honestly, has always been overrated in my book. Society's just starting to come around to my point of view. By the way, you can, as you kind of learn to adjust to life without humans, you'll want uh, this t-shirt, of course, in case you bump into somebody that's a little too friendly. It's our sorry, can't make it, self-quarantined t-shirt. Get one today at stewdoesmerch.com. One thing we've been hearing a lot about is this idea that COVID-19 is overhyped because it's only affecting older people. This is sort of like the police song, Every Breath You Take. It seems like it's supposed to be encouraging, and it's probably well-meaning, but ultimately, it's kind of psychotic, isn't it? First of all, it's not even true that it's only affecting old people. Right now, two ER doctors are in intensive care due to the coronavirus. The headline reads, two ER doctors in the U.S. are in critical condition with coronavirus. It's pretty, pretty convenient that it read that. To quote the article, though, uh, one of the ill physicians, a man in his 40s, was working in the Seattle area where the nation's outbreak began. And it's not just an isolated incident. From France, there are 300 to 400 people in intensive care in France, he said. Who is he, I wonder? And roughly half of them are under age 65. Yes, if you're younger, you have a much better chance at survival, without a doubt. But across all age groups, your chances of severe consequences are much higher than the normal flu. For those under 19 years old, you are 14 to 25 times as likely to die than the flu. For those 20 to 59, you're between 6 and 21 times as likely to die. Yes, your ch chances are worse if you're older, but this kind of sucks for everybody. Look at some of the accounts of people who have become sick and didn't die. 
they are horrific, even if you do eventually recover. But it's amazing to see so many blue check marks on Twitter and media members in general comment openly about it's, how it's only older people who are dying. Here's some breaking news about old people. Old people are people. It's an interesting concept. I know it's hard to believe. I mean, one of the conservative points we've kind of been making for a while about single-payer health care is that eventually, when times get tough, you're going to have no choice but to ration care. Look what's happening in Italy under their single-payer system right now. Italian coronavirus victims over 80 will not receive treatment if the situation worsens under emergency plans, as the PM warns country it's entering its riskiest weeks. Remember death panels? Remember all that whole thing? At least in our horrific vision of government health care dystopia, we envisioned a few people voting on whether you'd live or die. This is just death panels without the panels. You might remember Ezekiel Emanuel, brother of Ram Emanuel. He advised the Obama administration and freaked all of us out with his complete lives system, which gave us a handy dandy chart to figure out how much value you had to the collective at any given point in your life. This uh, was specifically designed as a way to assign resources when shortages appeared. Between 15 and 40 years old, you have lots of value. Over 70? Ugh, screw you. Well, he was recently named to Joe Biden's proposed Public Health Advisory Committee. Why is that so notable? Well, as he wrote in 2014, why I hope to die at 75 was the name of the article. He thinks it would be better off for everyone, for those still alive after 75, to cease to exist, even if saving them is cheap and easy. Quote, antibiotics are cheap and largely effective in curing infections. It is really hard for us to say no. Indeed, people who are sure they don't want life-extending treatments find it hard to refuse antibiotics. But, as Oster reminds us, unlike the decays associated with chronic conditions, death from these infections is quick and relatively painless. So, no to antibiotics. Ezekiel Emanuel is essentially the guy from the movie Airplane in Point Counterpoint. I say, let him crash! Think about this. Joe Biden has named a guy to his public health advisory committee who thinks Joe Biden should not be alive. As conservatives, we've been fighting to prove that old people like Joe Biden have value in our society, that they aren't disposable because they don't move around as well as they used to. I don't want Joe Biden to be president, but I do want him alive. I thought that was bipartisan, but apparently his own campaign disagrees. Here's the thing. I, I want innocent life in the womb to count. And I want innocent life outside of the womb to count, too. Dismissing either is morally and ethically wrong. This devaluing of life leads to what we're seeing in Italy and other parts of the world. Vote Democrat at your own peril. Seriously, Joe Biden, vote for yourself at your own peril. when you're living under self-quarantine maybe around probably going to be on the computer quite a little bit would it be nice if surf, search engines and social media sites were unbiased platforms that didn't choose a side politically wouldn't that be great keep dreaming in 2016 the tech elites at google bragged about donating millions of dollars to hillary these big tech companies that push their political agenda and restrict the free speech rights of conservatives 
of the very same corporations we're trusting to handle our personal data online. That sounds like a mistake. I don't want them using my web history, my email metadata, or video searches against me. Who would? That's why I use ExpressVPN every time I go online. Big tech companies can match your internet activity to your identity or your location using your public IP address. When you use uh, ExpressVPN, these tech companies can't see the IP address at all. They, uh, they mask the identity, and it's anonymized and by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN has the added benefit of encrypting 100% of your data to keep you safe from hackers and internet bad guys and all sorts of weirdos. Does that sound complicated? Well, I mean, it might be complicated how they do it, but it's not complicated for you. ExpressVPN software takes just a minute to set up on your computer or your phone. You tap one button and you're protected. So if you're like me and believe your internet data belongs to, I don't know, you and not to the tech elites, then ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash stew. expressvpn.com slash stew for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash stew to learn more. Our next guest is a Rotten Tomatoes certified film critic, a Washington Post contributor, and now the editor-in-chief of Rebeller, which you can find at rebellermedia.com. Sonny Bunch, thanks for coming on the program today. Um, I think uh, let's maybe let's start with Rebeller yeah, because I think it's kind of an interesting uh, thing you've, you're trying here, which I don't think has ever been attempted before, which is we all love movies. We all love TV. Um, but most of the sites that cover it is just they're just filled with woke nonsense. And you're trying to do something totally different. Can you kind of explain the, the theory here? Uh, sure. I'm, uh, you know, uh, the rebellermedia.com. It's a, uh, it, it is not a site where you're going to go to find out what is problematic, uh, <laughs> in, at the movies. And it's probably not the, the place you're going to, you're going to go to, to find out what is, uh, what, what's been canceled on any given day. Um, I, I, I like to pitch it, uh, not, not so much in terms of woke, not woke, though we are, uh, you know, aggressively not woke here, um, in certain regards. Um, but just in terms of, uh, you know, movie lovers, uh, versus non-movie lovers, we, we are making, we are, we are making content, uh, for people who love movies and love to talk about movies and are looking for somebody who can, uh, can help guide them through the wilds of, you know, the, all the streaming services and the, uh, the, what's, what's available on the internet. And, you know, uh, as, as, uh, as we all kind of hunker down in our homes and our, in our coronavirus caves, uh, this is going to be a, a useful service, I hope. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we're, you are in prime time and there's no better time to have a, an entertainment site because people are going to be at home watching Netflix and everything else 24 hours a day. Um, can you kind of go through what the effects of this are on, Hollywood right now? Because this is not something that has been top of the news cycle as all the craziness is going on with the economy. But I mean, show after show, movie after movie, shutting down um, production, times are being moved of releases. This is this is a big deal in Hollywood. Yeah, really is. I mean, I, you know, it's funny. I uh, one of the things that we do at RebellerMedia.com, the whole top of the site is basically an aggregation portal, and it's I, I've described it in interviews as uh, the Drudge Report for movies, and I don't mean that so much in a conservative versus liberal sense, but as in you click it and it sends you off the site to the news. Like I'm not paying anybody to sit here and rewrite stuff for for you. That mm -hmm. that is that is not a good expenditure of money. You know, it is it is essentially. But uh, one one of the interesting things uh, that I I have kind of picked up doing this over the last two or three months is that the the uh, movie industry was actually kind of a leading indicator on this it's it's pretty fascinating um 
if you if you were paying attention to the movie news out of China, it was bad for months. I mean, the the movie news out of China was bad for the months. The movie news out of uh, Korea was bad for months. And then you saw it happen in Italy. The movie news in Italy was bad. And then now the movie news here is disastrous. Uh, you know, the the. It, one of the one of the kind of interesting, fascinating things about the the movie industry is just how um, you know globalized it is, and the reason that that you know a studio like Disney makes a two hundred million dollar Mulan movie, right, is because it expects to do two hundred million dollars in business in China, it expects to do three hundred million dollars of business here, and another half billion dollars in business around the world. So uh, when you when you start seeing those markets close down. Ah, uh, you start seeing real, real issues in Hollywood, and this is why, uh, you know, it was it was interesting to see MGM get ahead of the curve on uh, the the new Bond movie. The, they were the first to cancel the release, more or less. They were they said, look, we're we're just not going to put it out there. We're going to push back to Thanksgiving. Um, probably getting ahead of the curve a bit and also staking out their own ground. Um, but frankly, who, who even knows? Who even knows what the media landscape is going to look like when uh, Thanksgiving rolls around? Regal said today that they are closing all of their their chains. Uh, you know, and Regal is the biggest is one of the biggest domestic domestic distributor uh, domestic exhibition houses in in the United States. Uh, I don't know that Regal reopens. At at the end of this, I wow. I can't say for sure that that is that is, that they are they are going to to exist in the form that they exist now. Um, once this this whole thing is done, their their parent company carries a massive amount of debt. There's all sorts of weird you know financial things that are that are going to take place over the next six months. Um, you know, you had a movie studio today for the first time. Universal said that they are throwing the theatrical window. Uh, wide open, they're getting rid of it or slamming it shut. I don't know which way that metaphor goes, really, but they're they're putting the hunt out uh, on VOD on video on demand on Friday. They are putting the Invisible Man out on VOD uh, on video on demand on Friday. They are putting the new Trolls movie out on VOD before it even gets to theaters. Wow. Uh, so it's it's weird out there right now, man. I I, I honestly don't know what the industry looks like in six months. I don't know what it looks like. Wow, this is incredible. I mean, these are these are things that are changing the way Americans have consumed media for you know years and years and years. Um, you mentioned the the hunt, um, which is maybe one of the most uh, cursed movies I think I can remember. I mean, they can't kind of had this initial launch, and people took it as this sort of anti-Trump uh, thing, which I never was able to put together from watching the trailer. Uh, you know, it certainly seems like it was a movie where you're trying to cheering for the person on the right to survive the attacks, not the person attacking. Um, it, it kind of, they, they obviously wanted to get this sort of political um, buzz out of the release. Then the heat came. They decided not to release it. They finally do release it and they choose coronavirus weekend uh, to to throw it out there. And I mean, it. I don't I don't fully understand why they didn't release it in the first place. If you wanted to have the buzz, you should have you know, probably known this was coming. But even after watching this, like it just seems like this movie. I mean, we're, we're conservatives uh, oversensitive on this. Do you think, Sonny? Sure. So, you know, th there were there were two kind of concurrent things that happened uh, with with the hunt. The the first was that there it, it was supposed to be released on the heels of one of the mass shootings, uh, you know, terrible tragedy 
Um, and there was a lot of talk uh, uh, amongst liberal critics in particular um, that this was an inappropriate time to do it, an inopportune time to release a movie like this where humans are being hunted for sport. Um, and then President Trump kind of subtweeted the movie. It never He never actually called the hunt out by name, but he said, you know, I can't believe there's a movie coming out where elites hunt deplorables. This is so disgusting, blah, blah. And I will say that it is one of uh, having, I've seen the movie now, and one, one of, it is one of the great self-owns uh, by the right in this regard, uh, going after this movie, because it is very much, it is, I mean, it, the log line here is very simple. Elites hunt deplorables for sport. The elites are the bad guys. The people hunting mm -hmm. the human beings for sport are the bad guys. This is not a, this is not like a, a close call. And it, 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 and look, it, 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 it is a very on the nose movie. It's not a, it is not a, uh, the sort of thing that is going to, um, win, win a lot of awards for subtlety. Right. Uh, <laughs> the, the, the liberals in this movie are literally like shouting things like, uh, you know, Global warming is real uh, as they're killing the the poor um, deplorables, uh, and and it has some fun with both sides. There's there's a very funny joke about crisis actors having crisis babies that made me actually laugh out loud in the theater. Uh, and and it is a you know th this is kind of a deranged right wing guy who's like this is all you know whatever. It, it the the movie is is I I think the right made a big mistake by by turning this into a. Um, uh, bet noir to to go after. So you know it is definitely the most cursed movie of all time, though. Uh, <laughs> rescheduling rescheduling its release for coronavirus weekend was you know who could have seen that coming? But yeah. amazing. You know. I will say uh, you know I've seen the now I've seen the movie as well, and and it's one of those things that if you're if you like that you got to like that kind of movie and understand what you're getting into. But it's I you know I thought it was fun and it was it was I thought they did a good job with it and it's true like you know conservatives for years have begged Hollywood to make movies in which they're not the evil villain you know oil company where they're just targeting for racial desires and all these terrible things that always happen with conservative characters in movies. This is one where you're actually rooting for them. It's kind of different. I did kind of come back though to the idea that as we go through the coronavirus weekend, you realize how stupid some of these news cycles are. I mean, here is the fact that this was even a big story that was leading the media for such a long time of this battle back and forth between whether it was anti-conservative or whether it should be released at all. That really is, it really is silly. And we got to go down that road so often. Shouldn't we just be taking these movies for what they are and enjoying them, enjoying the storytelling? Yeah, I mean, this this gets into uh, a this is kind of a classic controversy, uh, this this whole movie and the, the argument around it. I mean, it, it is it is, you know, as you as you watch the stock market crash and as you watch uh, your your 401k disappear and as you watch everybody sit home uh, because they, they they, you know, have been told not to go to work. Um, uh, it is it's kind of foolish to look back on this now and be like, yeah, this is a thing we spent three days on. This is a thing we uh, we, we dedicated a lot of. Uh, time and manpower and and uh, you know digital hours too. It, it is it, it does get a little bit bizarre. I will say that we don't we you know we love our movies. We've got to have a lot of time in front of the screen in the next few weeks. Over at Rebeller Media, do you have like a guide for me? Are these are there certain things I should be streaming? Are there certain movies I should be going after? How am I going to blow off all these hours? Because I can't I and mean, I can't do anything productive. I need to skip that. <laughs> I need to watch movies. Yeah. Sure. Uh, well, there are two things you can do. The first, you can follow us at uh, follow us at, on Twitter. Uh, the handle is just at Rebeller. We uh, the guy who runs the feed, Rebeller Dave, we call him. 
Uh, he's uh, he's he's constantly offering up great suggestions on what to watch. Uh, all the anniversaries, you know, this movie came out 17 years ago. This movie came out two years ago. This actor turns 93 today. You know, mm-hmm. I hope he doesn't get the coronavirus. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it that that's one good resource for you. And also, if you just go if you go to uh, the original tab, uh, the originals tab on rebellermedia.com, uh, it'll take you to a bunch of pieces that offer up all sorts of great suggestions. Of course. Contagion uh, is a is a big one right now that that a lot of people are, are watching that. But there's other stuff out there, too. Eh? You know, and there's and there's one of the nice things about Rebeller. One of the things I really like is that we can we can uh, we can focus on some lesser known titles. Like, for instance, there's a piece on Charles Bronson's foray to France uh, that is up right now and it has done pretty decent uh, business for us. And it is is it's it's just an interesting look at an actor uh, who you know and love, who you had a sojourn that a lot of us don't remember. Um, so uh, if you uh, if you are into you know kind of that tough guy uh, sort of thing, if you're into the westerns and the crime thrillers and the dramas and that, all that good stuff, Rebeller Media is the site for you. All right, Sunny Bunch from Rebeller Media. Uh, it's a great site, and you definitely should go check it out. Uh, has all the latest in outlaw cinema, entertainment, and culture. Uh, Rebeller Media is a site. Sunny Bunch. Thanks for coming on the program. Back in a minute. Welcome back. You know, I, I set this aside last week. I never got to it. Uh, it was just when this was breaking. It's just Justin, Colbert, Fallon, Seth Meyers, Trevor Noah, Samantha B, John Oliver to proceed without live audiences. And, you know, I was thinking that's kind of the shtick I have to do every day. Finally, these guys will have to deal and they'll have to deal in my world. There's nobody here. I mean, there's really nobody here now. Only the people they don't care at all if they die are in this room. You're, yes, that's true. He's you too. Um, only people who, if they die, make no difference to this company, uh, make no difference to this nation. Only those people are allowed in the studio now. And, you know, that is the type of world I've been in for a while. And then Colbert comes out and he does this whole shtick with, uh, with no audience. And he's got so many freaking writers and staff members, the whole audience is pretty much filled. He's running around. He's got like a, got like a, he sold out like 40% of it by just his writers being in the room. So, I mean, I'm like, I'm, I was really excited to see what's it like, you know, for John Oliver or a Stephen Colbert when you make your little joke and you have to sit there and actually just like let it exist on its own instead of having the laugh track along with it. Uh, and of course, now we're not going to find out because they did like one show and now they're on hiatus. So I don't get a hiatus. I got to come in here anyway. They, they basically, they, they're pumping coronavirus into this room just to see if I can survive it. I'm like an experiment. You're watching an experiment live on television or listening to it on podcast. And I hope you appreciate my, my efforts for you. I hope you appreciate that. I hope you do. Anthony Fauci is uh, the number one uh, disease expert, uh, infectious disease expert in the United States. He had a little uh, comment on how to react to this. And I want to give this to you. Watch. I want people to assume that I'm over or that we are overreacting, because if it looks like you're overreacting, you're probably doing the right thing, because we know from China, from South Korea, from Italy, that what the virus does, it goes, percolates along and then it takes off. So what we've got to do is a couple of things and we're doing it. One is preventing new infections from coming in, hence the travel restriction. And the other is doing containment and mitigation within the country. And it is correct that the infections are going to go up. 
Our job is to make sure it doesn't do the maximum peak and actually blunts. Within that blunt, there will be many new infections. We want to make sure we don't get to that really bad peak. And this is the most challenging thing about handling, handling this crisis. And I want you to think about this, too, in the terms of politics, because basically you're set up for complete and utter failure here. If you do too much and because you're doing too much, you succeed, then you are going to be accused of overreacting. And it wasn't that big of a deal. And come on, how come you couldn't have just handled that? With Did you really have to do all of that? So if you go too far and you succeed, you're going to get punished for going too far or, and, and, and over overhyping it. On the other hand, if you don't go far enough, then a lot of people get sick and they're going to say afterwards, hey, well, why didn't you go further? What's wrong with you? This is the issue here that these guys are dealing with. And it's what Trump is dealing with, because no matter what happens here, he's going to be kind of stuck in the middle as to whether he did too much or too little. And it's going to be something that is going to affect him in the election. Um, now, Bill de Blasio, on the other hand, he is not up for reelection. He already lost his presidential run. Total disaster. Uh, so he decides to put in these tough restrictions where uh, restaurants, bars going to be closed down, uh, only delivery and pickup. He's closing down all retail stores, really going hardcore, no gyms, nothing, uh, uh, starting at 8 o'clock tonight. So it's not 8 o'clock yet. So where's Bill de Blasio today? Watch. Here you go. This is the picture of it. Right there he is. Bill de, Blasio, uh, Bill de Blasio, indeed, here at the Park Slope YMCA this morning. Passersby have commented negatively. One called him an idiot. Hard to believe only one called him an idiot and nothing to do with the gym thing. He can go to the gym all he wants. Still be, he'd be a moron whether he goes to the gym or not. Uh, it's amazing, too. The guy just has no political sense at all. If you're going to come out and say, hey, don't go to the gym, you probably shouldn't go to the gym yourself. Because I don't know if you know this uh, disease, I think, passes just as easily in the overnight. And I don't think it stops at 8 p.m. Maybe. And this might be a very special disease. Maybe it's a little tired. Wants to take a break at eight. Uh, but Bill de Blasio not looking all so good uh, in New York uh, for for tonight, at least. We'll see if this I, we'll see if these restrictions go on. I, I think I want to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, um, talking about whether these restrictions are the right thing to do. How to do them is a big deal as well. And the slippery slope we face on the other side of coronavirus is going to be a big issue that we talk about in the months to come. Back in a second. Thrilled to be joined by Blaze TV's own Lauren Chen, host of Pseudo Intellectual. Uh, before we begin, uh, we've been taking a look back at our guests' very, very first tweets and then getting their reactions. So here's Lauren's. Twitter's interface is both confusing and non-intuitive. This will be challenging. So Lauren, were you able to overcome this challenge and master Twitter? Actually, yes, to my detriment. <laughs> I am now one of those users who was on Twitter far, far too much. So I, I actually wish at this point that it was a little bit more difficult to use because maybe that would incentivize me to stop using it so much. I know it is addicting. I mean, it's with all the uh, the coronavirus stuff, I feel like I'm on it all the time. And just I'm just refreshing constantly to see what the latest development is with the story. And I'm trying to figure out what name for coronavirus that I will be called racist for using. Um, for example, Wuhan virus, <laughs> Chinese virus, Chinese coronavirus, all of these, I'm told now, are racist. Yeah, you know what? I'm, I'm one of those people who is just kind of, oh, in for a pound, in for a penny. Um, let's just go Kung Flu. You know, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> they're going to call you racist anyway, so you might as well have some fun with it. Um, actually, speaking of Twitter, it was 
delicious. As soon as people started calling, I think it was Kevin McCarthy races for calling it Chinese coronavirus. Uh, people started compiling all of these tweets from you know CNN, MSNBC, all of these places who just a few weeks ago were calling it the same things and no one was saying anything then. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's kind of, I feel like almost like a somewhat of a new development because it used to be this thing where you'd say something that everyone kind of, ex, uh, you know, accepted and then they uh, apply this brand new standard to you um, and uh, and call you out. And it was this, you know, big dramatic moment. Now they're so like bold with this strategy that even when they did the exact same thing just a few days before, they feel completely okay and don't feel that there's going to be any repercussions from coming out and calling you out anyway, as if, as if this, this claim is crystal clear, you're a racist, and don't look back at my old tweets. Exactly. And we're not we're not just talking about, oh, my older tweets, like you said, this was within a matter of weeks, if not days where this whole flip happened. And it's not just that people are saying this is a racist thing to say, like, oh, I don't know if we should try to maybe distance the connection of the virus to a specific country or nationality. Maybe we should try to, I don't know, separate that. Uh, I think it was Kamala Harris actually went as far as to say that it was dangerous to call it uh, the Chinese coronavirus or Wuhan virus because you could you could be endangering the lives of immigrants and Chinese Americans. She went that far. It's like, all right, well, apparently uh, you people have no standards, no morals as to what what you won't say in order to score political points. Yeah, it's, it's an amazing one, too, because what's dangerous is obviously the actual virus, which is an actual danger. Yes. Um, but what also is, is dangerous, I think, is, you know, we talk about political correctness a lot, and it's something that, you know, conservatives will throw around all the time. But here's actually a real example of it from China, who decided that the politically correct opinion was that we didn't have a new virus, that these doctors weren't discovering these things, that when they were raising the alarm bells, we should ignore them and make them sign fake apologies for for alarming people. That is a real version of political correctness in effect. And yet, instead of criticizing the Chinese government, not the Chinese people, but the Chinese government for what happened there, they're criticizing us for using the location of the virus. It's bizarre. Mm -hmm. I think the amount of cognitive dissonance here specifically is really quite amazing, not to mention, I'm sure you've seen as well, since this virus has kind of caused a, a global panic, people in the United States have actually started to use this as a reason why they need socialized medicine. Oh, wouldn't it be great if, you know, all these people who are scared now because maybe they can't afford to get sick, if they would have a, a, an assurance that they could be taken care of. It's like, are, are you people forgetting where this virus originated from? In China, and we saw what the the socialized response to that was. Doctors were silenced, patients were silenced. Um, this was not a shining example <laughs> of the wonders of socialized medicine, if there even is such a thing. Mm. The media is always looking, though, to kind of push uh, their narratives, right? Uh, they do this so much culturally. You, you cover a lot of this so well. Um, lately, one of the things they've been doing is pushing... I don't know if they're promoting uh, thruples and um, uh, and the the additional sort of like uh, open marriages. And this is like a, a trend that I don't know if they're doing it for ratings or are they doing it for just cultural reasons? What is the cause of this? It's hard to say, right, because I think we can all agree that. Sensa sensationalism and the media have always kind of gone hand in hand. That's not a new thing. Um, whatever gets clicks or views or, you know, whatever, it's, it's a good thing to talk about. When, but when it comes to, and there have been several pieces now, and I think it's uh, The Telegraph, there was one, and I think New York Post, another, talking about 
open marriages, I think we have to dig a little bit deeper than just clicks because for a while now we've seen, I think, the concerted effort to undermine the nuclear family, right? We see people saying all the time marriage isn't worth it. Oh, divorce isn't that bad. Now we're seeing open marriages are fine. And what's sad is that I don't I don't think these people understand the consequences of what they're, they're saying. I mean, they're probably just doing it because, oh, yeah, it's fun. We can sleep around a little bit. This has actual ramifications on people's lives, their marriages, uh, children. We've, we actually talked about studies on the segment we did about this. Children who are raised in, I guess, non-traditional or unstable families, particularly those where there is a non-biologically related uh, person living in the house, are way more likely to suffer abuse and trauma. So this, I mean, I would like to think that the the journalists or the writers who are talking about these things are just doing it because it's a human interest piece or whatever. But I, I don't think we can escape the fact that there are larger consequences for trying to promote this behavior. Yeah, and they seem to go further and further down the uh, the stranger roads. I, I, I feel like every time they watch, yeah. they have to outdo their last report. So it's like, ah, if it's another, <laughs> it's a third person, uh, that, that we had that last week. So this week we're going to go, let's try sex robots. Let's give sex robots yeah. a whirl. Uh, it just, it, it feels like they just, I, I don't know if they're just reaching for this enticing material, but I mean, we're getting to a point where they're basically, uh, promoting the lifestyle of Westworld. And I feel like that's not a healthy choice. No, for sure. And it's, I, I wonder at what point do we as a society step back and look at our media, look at the things that are being promoted in our culture and think, maybe we're, this is not the, the road we want to go down. Maybe we are the bad guys. Like, at what sense does the collective self-awareness kick in? Kick in? Um, concerning sex robots specifically, there was a, a recent article where an expert in AI was actually warning that if, if AI in sex robots actually gets advanced enough, they may be at risk of assaulting humans. And we see, of course, that now for some reason, I'm scared of the Skynet possibility. So I think anything with AI is <laughs> touch and go. But we see them actually trying to build sex robots with AI so it can be more interactive, more real, because heaven forbid we try to mate with actual other humans now. And it's like, this is a why are we doing this? Can we just can we just not can we just roll back the last 20 or so years? Because I, I don't think they've gone well for for our culture. Uh, it's amazing too. It's the same people that will come out and, and try to make the big case for the Me Too movement and how important it is. And then they're going to create, uh, you know, female assaulting and male assaulting sex dolls. <laughs> it, it feels like they're going down the wrong, wrong path on that one. Um, let's, let oh, me ask sure. you, let me ask you about Me Too here for a second. Cause this is, it's, it's, it's a tough one because number one, real important things have been accomplished. I think when you look at the idea that women should be able to freaking call any loser guy or horrible human being that does something like this. And <laughs> I, I believe that should be completely encouraged. Like I, especially immediately after when there's evidence and these people can get in trouble within the statute of limitations and all those things are really important. Um, and on the other side, you have this sort of rush to judgment, this believe all women type of attitude um, that I think can that any you know mom or someone who has a husband, a boyfriend, a brother can see how it could go down the wrong road where an accusation just becomes uh, you know a conviction. 
No, it, it, it is worrying because like you, I think there are some things that have been um, beneficial from the Me Too movement. I kind of see it as the, the need to hold people in power accountable. So many of these stories that, that we hear of these horrible abuses, it's it's happened when people in positions over others have misused and abused their power. And we see this happening to women, but also actually to men, right? There there are men who have come forward in the Me Too movement saying, hey, you know, this, this happened to me. This person was my boss, my supervisor, whatever, and it was not okay. So I'm I'm completely for that. Of course, we don't want people being sexually harassed in any way, not at work either, where you think they should be safe. But when it comes to the whole believe all women mentality, that's just such a almost perversion of what the movement should be about, because that doesn't help women. That doesn't help real survivors of sexual assault. And it's, it's gotten to the point now where um, the, the willingness of people to cancel others just because of some unfounded allegations, it's destroying lives as well. And I don't think that's constructive for society, for victims, for anybody. So I think we we need to accept that it doesn't make you pro-rape to want to also be um, pro-due process. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, I will say you brought up an issue that I was unaware of completely um, recently, and I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. The movie Mulan... I had no yes. idea there was a Me Too element to Mulan, but apparently this has been uncovered and apparently solved in the new version of it. Is that true? Yeah, it was. I was surprised to hear this too. I guess uh, you know, trying to examine. Uh, I think it was. It came out in the '90s, like '90s cartoons through a 2020 lens. Everything is problematic, but yeah. that's right. If if people haven't heard, apparently in the new live-action Mulan film, which is due to come out sometime this month, I think Lee Shang, who was her kind of captain and love interest. Uh, very, very hunky Disney prince, of course. He was cut out entirely of the new movie because I think it was the director said it was problematic in in this day and age to have a love interest who is also the superior, which is, I mean, you have to be really searching, I think, for something to be upset at, to look at Mulan and think, oh, there's some sort of abuse happening there. He didn't He didn't pursue her romantically at all. He was still in charge of her. What? What is this? <laughs> that is, it's just a strange thing to try to even approach, right? Like you're trying to send a message to kids that like this is an, in, you want to have them having innocent uh, joys that they don't have to worry about all this drama yeah. and yet they have to force it in no, every it single must- time. It must be exhausting to be one of these people. And I, I feel like w- no matter what they watch, they're searching for some sort of way to to make it problematic or complain about it or patriarchal. And of course, I mean, it's no surprise really that Mulan, they had to find something wrong with it. And actually not only that, but uh, I think Mushu, the little dragon character, he was also cut out as well. I think it. He, they believed he perpetuated negative stereotypes oh or something like that. So. I mean, if you look at everything people loved about Mulan, also there's no more songs, no more musical numbers. They've really uh, kind of taken away everything that people liked about the movie in remaking the movie. I will see how well it does, I guess, though. I'm not incentivized to see it at all. It just seems like it's just too much work. Uh, the uh, the never problematic Lauren Chen, of course, host of uh, Pseudo-Intellectual <laughs> with Lauren Chen on The Blaze TV. Thank you so much for coming on, Lauren. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. And don't forget, you can get Lauren's show, all the episodes on blazetv.com. Uh, use the promo code STU and you'll save 10 bucks. And that's how they know you like this stupid show as well. Back in a second.
do your duty. Stay away from people. Uh, when someone asks you to do something, you got to say no. Easiest way to do that is with this T-shirt. It is, of course, the sorry, can't make it, self-quarantined T-shirt. It's available now at uh, stewdoesmerch.com. That, along with the Nancy Pelosi pens, are there. Lots of other cool Stu Does America merchandise. I mean, if you're going to be home, probably lounging in T-shirts for the next six months anyway, might as well make the T-shirt give a positive message to the rest of the world. We'll see you tomorrow.